Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to SJEN TV Presents, another session of Men on a Mission. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Zeke, and I'm so excited about today's program. Today we're going to hear from a man who's been on a mission, and he's going to tell us about his great love for Jesus and his desire to bring others to Christ. So stay tuned. Stay right there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to SJEN Presents Men on a Mission. I'm so pleased today to welcome to our program Mr. Jim Blaze. Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you here, Jim. Listen, before we get into uh, your story, please tell us a little bit about you and your background. Well, I, um, I'm the father of five children. And I grew up Catholic, actually, as the youngest of eight children. Wow. So having five seemed like the baby, almost huh? half a family. Exactly <laughs> right. The baby of the, of the eight. And so, um, and that was uh, quite an adventure. And my, my dad actually was an engineer. And he ended up becoming a deacon when I was in eighth grade. He was ordained a deacon. Okay. And this was back in 86. So... Uh, this was well before you saw deacons at very many parishes. That's so, true. Anyway, but uh, so grew up in a very faith-filled uh, Catholic family and uh, tried to uh, try uh, trying to incorporate that in my own family life. Oh, that's wonderful. So, so what you been doing with yourself, Jim? What's uh, what's your education, your background, and what have you been doing? So I started with. Um, when I, I think it's fascinating in when we are probably 16, 17, people will ask you, well, you know, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, go pick that degree and then you can just do that. And right. at 17, I was right. like, everybody knows what they're doing yeah, at 17. Exactly. With the wisdom that God has given you at the uh, tender age of 17. So I looked at very basically, well, where are my skills? I happen to be good at math and even more pressing, I didn't want to take English classes. <laughs> and so uh, I, I pursued a degree in engineering. And my dad, as I mentioned, was an electrical engineer. And so uh, certainly that influenced uh, my decision. I wanted to be um, somewhere where my gifts would be used. Yeah. Uh, certainly I had a trust in God. I can't say that I spent a lot of time in discernment. I merely thought, I got to be honest, if I can avoid the English and history classes, this is the way to go. And so, um, so I did. I pursued engineering four years and then uh, graduated in, uh, you know, in the four years, thankfully, and did that for about six years. But I have to, I have to kind of back up because, uh, so I went through Catholic grade school, right? right? And we would have these conversations around the table growing up and we had a big table. There were 10 of us by the time I was, you know, really coming of age. Yeah. Uh, my oldest siblings had already moved out, but, uh, so we wouldn't necessarily have 10 around the table, but we'd have these conversations. And I remember listening to my dad talk and, uh, express frustrations sort of recognizing that there were different voices in the church. I'm kind of jumping in a little quickly here, but, uh, but the reality is he would 
talk about things in the world, naturally impact life in the church. Sure. And he recognized, I remember this from really from my youth, okay? So yeah. even like fourth grade, right? Fifth grade, we'd be sitting at the table and my dad would be frustrated with certain voices in the church. Now, this is back in the early 80s, uh, even, well, early 80s. We'll leave it at that. And so I remember sitting at the table, listening, and just recognizing that, you know what, Dad, I felt, he had a handle on it. He had a way of discerning which were the right voices and which were the wrong voices. And so I, I totally trusted his, his own clear thinking on the matter. Because so your dad was really invested in the faith. And, very much, very much. And he was passing that information and the love for the faith on to his Absolutely, kids. and it was a passionate love. And, uh, but I remember thinking, I could not possibly know without his input what's right and what's wrong in these decisions. Right. And I, and I thought to myself, boy, when I get older, I, re I remember this actually very clearly. I remember thinking, when I get older, Am I going to be knowledgeable enough to discern these things? I, I didn't use this language, but to discern <laughs> these things for myself. Right. Like, how am I going to do this without dad's guidance? Right. How am I going to know for myself? Because here's what happened was my, my parents sent all of us eight children, and it cost a mint to Catholic school. Right. From first grade through high school. They made that conscientious decision and that sacrifice. And investment, sacrifice big right. time, right? I mean, right. eight kids. And, um, but at the schools during this time, as you probably well know, the schools were not necessarily, we weren't getting the bang for the buck, right? I was not learning the faith with the rigor and vigor that I ought to have been. And, uh, and tragically, Many my siblings had the same experience, and so what my parents thought was being handed on in the in the in the schools right wasn't the formation. Yeah, the formation wasn't actually reaching us, and some of that is you know your kids. So it needs to be enthusiastic. It needs to be with great energy and with great passion, like my dad was doing at home, but in the classroom and in the classroom. Right. The best that I was getting was dull, you know? And I, I, I actually, so not it was to, more writ education it than was, it was passionate. It was not personal. passionate, and it was not rigorous. It was not, um, I can look back, because, uh, you know, jumping ahead, I have a degree in theology. But I can look back, and I can look at the curriculums that were being used, and I recognize that they were not on point, they would say stuff, and I, this is almost a direct quote from a, actually, unfortunately, a current curriculum. They will have stuff about, well, God is loving, and then they'll tell the story of Jose went to his grandma's house, you know, <laughs> and his grandma served these crackers and cookies, and Jose felt this warm love, and God is like this grandma who loves you, and, and you're like, that didn't teach me anything. You know, that didn't teach me anything of the faith. Did I learn about Jesus at all? Yeah. And that's, that was the best. The worst, the worst stories, we actually had it pretty good because then I heard stories from other people in other uh, schools, both locally and around the nation, where they were learning the opposite of what the church taught.
They were learning, I mean, recently a poll came out about how many, how few Catholics believe that the, the Eucharist is the real presence. I know where that comes from. It's because people were, people I know, people my age were being taught that it was a symbol in grade school without their parents realizing that that's what they were getting. Right. And so I'm, I was on actually in a good place where I was being taught the faith. It was true. They didn't teach me anything contrary, but it wasn't in the same, with the same depth and with the same passion. Yeah. And it wasn't with the same, we didn't memorize things. Yeah. And uh, not that long ago, I guess it's all relative, uh, St. John Paul II spoke of how you cannot receive the blossoms of faith and piety, right? This is a great quote. The blossoms of faith and piety in the desert places of memoryless catechesis. Wow. And that's what I lived through. What a great quote. That's what I lived through. I yeah. lived through memoryless catechesis. Now, that was a pendulum swing, right? Because prior to that, and this is coming out of a Catholic school. Catholic school. But prior to that, there were people who received only memory without any relationship with Christ. Right. And so what they tried to do was all yeah. relational with no memory. Yeah. There's no balance there. In There's that. no balance. They did not. The pendulum right. overswung yet again. And so this is what I received was yeah. this memoryless catechesis, which does not grow faith and piety. Right. And so this is the situation. So I'm, I see the witness of my parents, mm -hmm. but I lack the formation that they had. And my parents knew the faith and they never went past high school in their Where did they religion. get the faith that they passed on? Were, were their parents integral in making sure their children were formed? And they understood the faith? Is that where they got it I think it was part it of the culture, honestly. My, now, my grandparents were very faithful. Now, I will say, my dad is a unique situation. Because, now, my dad was the oldest of five. Okay. And he actually, when he was in his teens, my grandfather left the family. Oh. So my dad was born in 1920, just to give context. Right. And so in an era, in the 30s, when that was really unusual... And kind of a stigma, yeah. his dad left the family. Right. And so my dad actually had to step up and help provide for the family, as did my uncle, or his uncles, I should say, my great uncles. Um, and my dad's grandparents, they lived with them for a while. But uh, his mom was, um, she was a saint. My, my grandmother was a saint. She was just the rock holding everything she together. She was a rock. And my mom actually spoke of her in glowing terms. She often spoke of how she never heard, my, this is my mother, never heard my grandmother say one cross word about my grandfather. So obviously, even through all that, yeah. the, the true charity and, and living that type of environment and the impact that it had even on a broken yeah. A broken family, the broken relationship, maintaining the dignity and the virtue of Christ exactly. in every environment. It's amazing how just living the virtuous type life, yeah. it has an impact on people, even in tremendous difficulty. Exactly right. And the, the, the witness that that gives right. and the foundation that that provides right. is 
you, you can't replace it. So there's hope even yeah. in things that are very traumatic. Exactly right. So what my dad, the example that my dad gave in his faithfulness was, I mean, they speak of, right? I mean, broken homes beget broken homes frequently. Yeah, right. Right? Well, my dad, he was, the, he was the rock who stepped forward into our home, and he provided a foundation for us that was flawless. Right. I mean, it was really, uh, it was so impressive. He bought a home. So in addition to having the eight kids, he bought a home for his mother. He served in World War II. Yeah. And when he came back, he bought a home for his mother. Yeah. And bought a home for his family. And then God, in his graciousness, gave him eight children. Now, my dad was 36 when he got married. Wow. So when he was 52, yeah, that's when yours truly was born. <laughs> and uh, Save the know, best for last, though, right? That's what I like to think. I like to think I was the cherry on the top. There you go, so, buddy. <laughs> but the, uh, anyway, so I have this witness, getting back to this witness of my father, but this lack of formation in my education. Yeah. I end up in this place where... Without discernment of any real sort, uh, I end up in this um, engineering school. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, God places in my life two very instrumental people. One of them was a gal that I started dating and who I'm married to today, but she wasn't Catholic. And the other one was a, a good friend of mine. We're still friends, so we don't see each other often enough. He wasn't Catholic either. And God placed these two people in my life to draw me closer into the into the Catholic faith. That's part of the mystery of it, isn't it? It's a it's amazing how God works through all these. You know, He writes straight with crooked lines, yeah, right. right? But it's the uh, at school, this friend of mine, uh, Matt, would we would have these conversations, right? Like you do in college. Sure. But he was preparing to be a campus crusade for Christ minister so evangelical christian ministry and that was his goal so he had a fire for the lord then fire for the lord exactly right and so we would have these conversations until three in the morning as you do but they would all be on scripture right and i would matt would ask me questions he was like well why do you go to confession to a priest or why do you you know do this with mary or why do you have whatever and i would my answer was always the same it was i have no idea you know? So he was trying to get you into apologetics before you got into apologetics. I knew nothing of the nature. I, I knew nothing. I was, and, but it, what, it, what it did is it opened my eyes to my own ignorance. Wow. And so when I went home, I was hanging out with my girlfriend, right? And she had similar questions. They were, I think, more charitably posed. <laughs> they were less the rigorousness right, and the, right. you know, um, whatever, the competitive nature of, of two college guys going at it. It was more trying to understand who this person is. Right. But the same answers, right? I still lacked. Right. And so it led me to pursue an, my own understanding of the faith in college. So what I realized was, and this was a grace from God, I realized when I'm confronted by the Catholic faith, and I don't know it, I realized I needed to know it to be able to choose it. 
right? Most of my colleagues, because and this is why this is grace filled, most of my colleagues in college, yeah. they would look at the faith and it didn't make sense to them because they'd never really learned it. And so they rejected it. The formation it. wasn't really set in place for them yes. either. And that was widespread, right? I mean, people, that's, right. that's very widespread. But they rejected it without knowing it. The grace given to me by God was that I realized I didn't know it. And so I couldn't reject it in good conscience. We're going to stop right there because we want to hear more about this journey. We're going to take a break right now, so stay right there. We'll be right back. Oh, St. Joseph whose protection is so great, so strong, so prompt before the throne of God, I place in you all my interests and desires. O Saint Joseph, do assist me by your powerful intercession and obtain for me from your divine Son all spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So having engaged here below your heavenly power, I may offer my thanksgiving and homage to the most loving of fathers. O Saint Joseph, I never weary contemplating you and Jesus asleep in your arms. I dare not approach you while he reposes near your heart Press him in my name and kiss his fine head for me and ask him to return the kiss when I draw my dying breath. St. Joseph, patron of parting souls, pray for us. Amen. This segment of Men on a Mission is made possible through the generosity of affordable kitchens and baths. Welcome back to Men on a Mission, and our guest today, Mr. Jim Blaze. Jim, you were just telling us a little bit about uh, uh, your college experience and uh, being questioned and uh, quizzed on the faith. Let's pick up the story right there. So I, by the grace of God, I realized that I needed to learn the faith. And so God also placed, simultaneously, God placed me in a relationship uh, with a group called Opus Dei. I'm sure you're very familiar. Very familiar. And uh, in particular, there was a priest in the uh, Opus Dei Center uh, locally. And so every weekend, I would come home, pretty much every weekend, I would come home and I would learn from him the answers to the questions that Matt <laughs> at school would, uh, would pose. And then I'd go back and give those to Matt, get new questions, come back to Father Hillary, and then go back. And so this happened for a while. Anyway, I end up graduating. I have this engineering degree, uh, and I did exactly what I had hoped to do. I ended up actually doing software development on flight simulators, which is like a video game. Yeah. It's like the most expensive video game on the market because the government's paying for it. Right. Okay. Right. And so you have the best tools. You're doing the coolest stuff. It's everything I wanted right. coming out of college. Yeah. And I did that for about three years. And I'm simultaneously attempting to learn the faith, kind of in the background, okay? My relationship with my girlfriend is growing deeper, 
and we're trying to figure out where God is calling us to the future. But at this point, at least I'm on a new path yeah. of trying to grow in my relationship with the Lord. I still don't feel, quite honestly, like I could do what my dad did of being able to discern whether this voice is sharing me the truth or yeah. sharing with me a, a different version. Right. Right? Right. A twisted version of the truth. Okay. And that's the, uh, that was always in the back you of my mind. You recognized that I right did. away. By, again, by the grace of God, this is not something that you can uh, attain. That, right. that recognition is not something you can just work toward. Right. It's, it really is a grace. And so a friend of mine happened to go to a school. So we graduated high school together. He finished his degree um, in history of all things. It's amazing. <laughs> the one amazing, you didn't want. Amazing we were friends. Yeah. But uh, so I'm finishing my degree in engineering. I'm pursuing engineering. He finishes his history degree, and he goes immediately to a school to pursue a master's degree. Oh. And it was a school I'd never heard of. And in fact, I thought it was really funny. He said, I'm going to get a master's in theology from Franciscan University of Steubenville. And I was like, Steubenville? And of course, I make the joke that everyone makes when they hear that I went to Steubenville. They're like, oh, Steubenville. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, but uh, he invites me to a summer conference. Wow. And I have to be honest, I've never shared this with him, so I don't know if he'll see this or not. But when he first invites me to a Catholic summer conference to learn more about the faith, my inclination is, no, that's not for me. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is not, that yeah. sounds like the most dull thing yeah, you could possibly right. ask a guy to do. However, at the parish that I'm attending, they started this video series, and it was, this was when Scott Hahn's conversion story was first introduced onto the scene. Right. And so we do this video series, and it's basically Scott giving the story of Rome Sweet Home. Mm -hmm. Okay, if people are familiar with that. And so I'm watching this video at the parish that I'm attending. And I learned that he teaches at Franciscan. And in fact, he's a speaker at the conference that my friend James wants me to attend. Oh. And so all of a sudden, my interest is peaked. Okay. And I attend this conference and my, I mean, it, it knocks my socks off. Because... What had happened is, while I was trying to pursue answers, there were questions that I had that I wasn't finding the answer to, you see? And what I learned, what I began to grow, that I had this nagging fear in the back of my mind that there just weren't answers. And I saw my, my well, not my wife, but my, my girlfriend mm -hmm. live this faith, and she seemed so confident in it. And I she thought, had a relationship with Jesus. She had a relationship with the Lord. And I was struggling with that. that. It was a nagging fear. I couldn't put my finger on it. But until I went to this conference, and all of a sudden, it's like God set me up. Question by question was addressed. And interestingly enough, by multiple speakers, so there was Scott Hahn, there was Jeff Cavins, there were... Peter Kraft was there. Oh, I mean, wow. it was an unbelievable lineup. Yeah. And it was there, you know how they would go off on tangents. Right. If you've ever heard Scott speak, he'll go off on a tangent. And it was in the tangents. It wasn't even part of his prepared speech that he would begin to address all these questions. And it was just knocking it off left and right. It was unbelievable. And I came out of that 
with a new joy and a new hope. This is the faith. This is the truth. And I was confident in it. And now all I needed to do was pursue it with all my heart. It was the pearl of great price. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I do. And I recognized its value. And I wanted to give up everything I had to pursue it. Okay. And so... Your dream job and everything, huh? My dream job. And I recognized more and more my dream job was empty. There was an emptiness. More dream than job. It was exactly right. It was everything I wanted, but it was there was no joy in it. Yeah. My joy was coming from home, pursuing these books, pursuing these tapes at the time, right? And it was that was where I was finding joy. That's where I was finding peace. It was more on the drive, listening to to talks. Yeah. And lessen the arrival and doing the video game. Right. And so I went to another set of conferences that I thought, well, this will work. I'll just go to conferences every summer. And after the second summer, I gave up. I gave up. And I said, I have to pursue this. Okay. I have to pursue this full time. I have to get a master's degree. And I have to learn the faith in in its entirety. I can't learn it piecemeal on these drives. Well, you took the same approach towards that then that you did in being the engineer who you were. Exactly right. So I'm, I'm going to learn as much as I can. You had a hunger for it. And don't you think those seeds were planted by your father? Absolutely. So, and that's the beauty. So now you can see personally that connect the dots on how it is important for a father to really... Pass that on. That is, you know what? It's not only the theory, it's the reality, right? It's not only showing up in study after study, it's the lived experience. Is that when my dad, he took the logic of his engineering and had the same hunger in the pursuit of truth that you do when you're trying to solve some electrical problem. Right because he and I both were electrical engineers. Right. And he took that same hunger for the truth to the questions of faith. And his witness of that, his willingness to give up everything. In fact, he has a great he has a great calling, his vocation story. Yeah. I have to share that with you. Yeah. Okay? Because he went on a White House retreat. Now, when I was very young, I didn't share this. And for our listeners out there, our viewers, uh, here in St. Louis, there's a Jesuit retreat house that's been running for over 100 years, and they do uh, retreats for lay people with a storied past. So why don't you get into that? So when I was two, my mother uh, was diagnosed with cancer. Now, I was totally unaware of this, of course, but it was looking pretty scary. My dad is looking at life and thinking, I have eight kids, and the youngest is two, Yeah. right? And so... By the grace of God and in God's providence, she survived this through surgeries, through, they didn't have chemo, but through surgeries, she was able to survive this. Wow. And things were tight financially. Sure. You know? And so we sort of survived this very lean period when I was too young to, to realize. Right. Okay. So coming out of that, we're probably four or five years removed my dad is on this retreat, and he shared this story a number of times with me, and, I, and I, it's such a great gift to have it in my memory. 
And he went into the chapel, and they have this beautiful stone chapel in the White House, at the White House on the White House grounds. And it was just him. Just well, him and the Lord, right? In the chapel. And he's kneeling in the chapel, and he's just praising God and thanking God. And he says, Lord, you have done so much for me. Because now he's, you know, approaching retirement, kids are getting married, his wife is cancer-free. I mean, things are just blooming in every direction, right? Right. And so he is in gratitude. He says, Lord, I want to do something for you. Whatever you desire of me, tell me what it is. And he audibly heard, he audibly heard the words, be a deacon. So much so, he said he actually stood up and turned around. He thought someone else was in the, in the room. And what, walking to the back, because they're kind of hidden right. cold areas right. where on the entrance, right. no one else is there. Now, this wow. is the great part. This is back in probably 82. Okay, I'm probably 10 years old. Yeah. And so deacons were not, there were not a lot of deacons. There was one class that had graduated in the St. Louis area. It had only recently been re-implemented. Mm-hmm. And so my dad literally did not know what a deacon was. And yet those, that's the language he heard. He heard, be a deacon. And so he actually had to go to the retreat master, and he shares this experience and says to him, well, what's a deacon? <laughs> <laughs> and so the priest yeah. who's leading the retreat has to explain to him, well, this is the diaconate. This is these are his historical roots. This is how it was re-implemented after Vatican II. Right. You know, and this is kind of how you pursue that. Right. And so my dad that year dropped everything and he started attending classes to become a deacon. He graduated, he was ordained uh, in eighty-six. Right. Uh, as a deacon when I was in eighth grade. So here's another example of you kind of following in your father's footsteps. He takes on the title Reverend Mister. Yes, he does. And you get a master's in theology. So like father, like son. It's the, you know, again, it's the example. It's that living example of giving everything. Right? right. Because that's the only way to be in relationship with Christ. Let me ask you something. Since you have this in your blood... What do you say to men now who are maybe struggling and not really understanding their role to be the spiritual head of their house and they're they're even wrestling with their own identity yeah. as a follower of Christ? What do you say to them? You know, because I, I, you see that all the time, right? And it's tragic. It's tragic because they're losing out on the joy. It, that parable of the pearl of great price speaks volumes to me. In my mind... That's the key to understanding to why you give your life to the Lord. It's not a, I'm trying to avoid hell. Like, I get that. That's a very human reaction. (laughs) I want to avoid hell. Well, yeah, we all do. But more so, because really love is about pursuing the beloved. Right. And what Christ is offering you 
in this relationship. And it seems like you're giving up a lot, but it is straw. Like I think of the, if you know the story of St. Thomas Aquinas, right? right? He saw, he had this vision. He did all these books. He wrote all this stuff. He did great things for the church. We are deeply indebted to him. Right. But at the end of his life, he, he had a vision of the Trinity. And his words, it's all straw. It's nothing. What I've done is nothing compared to the reality. And God is offering himself completely to us. And so if we live our lives half for the Lord, like what is that? Right. Who gives themselves right. half to a person? Right. That's no relationship at all. Right. You know, what we need to do is give ourselves completely. Don't hold anything back. You hold nothing back. Let God into all aspects of life. Right. And what do you find from that? That's where the joy is, yeah. right? That's where the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, if there, when, when I enter into a situation and I recognize that I have lost my peace, that I've lost my joy, that I've lost my love, then I know that I need to get back on my knees and I need to rededicate whatever aspect, whatever I'm pursuing in that moment. It's an indicator. If I have lost the fruits of the Holy Spirit, in any given situation or moment, yeah. I know that I need to relinquish my attempted control of that aspect of my life. Right. And that this is not only for my benefit, but it's for those that I love. Right. You know, like I have five kids, as I said. And so I'm not only pursuing the Lord for myself, but I'm pursuing him for them. I want them to know him. You and reflect they can only that know. love of the Lord to them. That's the legacy of a father, the legacy your father passed on to you yeah. and from his mother and everything. Yes. The fact that we're all connected. Well, listen, I can't believe the time has just gotten away from us. It's been such a great honor to have you here with us today. Thanks so much for being Absolutely. our guest. Bob, I appreciate it. We're going to have to pick this conversation up in the future and let you uh, shed some more rays of light and hope of what it means to be a father, and share the love of the Lord with your family and those around you. Amen. On behalf of everybody here at SJEN TV, I do want to say uh, I'm in great debt to the co-founder of this program who has recently called home to the Father, Mr. Bob Fry. And for his memory, we dedicate this program in gratitude to God for being the co-founder of this and sharing so much. So until next time, thanks so much. And we look forward to seeing you again real soon. God bless.